Welcome to Pod for Teacher. I'm Aaron Fitzpatrick. I'm Nate Langelli. And I'm Brad Baldwin. With everything going on in the news regarding policies that affect education, we decided to make it the focus of this month's pod. The Politics of Ed Policy Part 2, for those of you keeping score at home. Or Part 2. Hot Shots Part 2. Part 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> part so the, <laughs> the question that came to mind is, have you ever made a mistake? I personally have not, but maybe you guys have. Have you Never. ever had to admit you were wrong? Every day I do. Every day. Would the world be better off if people would swallow their pride and admit when they messed up? Well, that's exactly what is happening currently in the beautiful Commonwealth of Pennsylvania concerning its educational system and what has happened nationally concerning the Special Olympics. So when there are flaws in the educational system, how do we know and how do we fix them? We recently caught up with Jessica Fontaine, a special education teacher here in our district, to get her thoughts on the importance of the Special Olympics to our student body. So stick around. We'll be right back after this word from AWOL Nation. And baby, it's a wonderful news. It's not your fault. It's not your All right, so welcome back. I'm here with special education teacher Jessica Fontaine. Jess, thanks for stopping by. No problem. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, so you've been involved with the Special Olympics since 2013, you said? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So um, how did you come to get involved, and what's your role with the organization? Okay, so I went to Slippery Rock University, and as a special education major, um, I attended a lot of the autism and the conferences up there, and so a big part of that is the Special Olympics. Um, I participated with that while I was at Slippery Rock, so then when I came here to Freedom, I just assumed that we would go and had participants. Um, and at the time, Frank Hernandez was our football coach, and he would take all of the football players and the cheerleaders to go and volunteer, but we didn't have any participants. So I was like, well, we need to figure that out. And so I asked, and we didn't have anybody that would go. So I stepped up, and I kind of took charge of it. And then we had a very small group. We only had that year. The first year we went, we only had about four students that participated, and no volunteers came with us. And every year since, we've been going. And then this year, I can say that we have um, a total of 30 students all across elementary, middle school, and high school. That's incredible. Yeah. So um, during your time working with the Special Olympics, college through now. Uh, what's What is working with that organization meant to you personally and for the students that you've worked with? Uh, it's really hard to explain because I feel like you have to go there to see the impact that it has on the students because it just touches your heart in a way that can't be described in words. Um, it's an organization that takes elementary students you know, from kindergarten all the way to adulthood, that even if you can't participate anymore, you can still go there to volunteer and assist students that volunteer. So it's for, that's a hard question. You just kind of have to be there. Okay. So um, in this episode, we're talking about governmental policy that impacts education, and a few stories have been in the news as of late, but one in particular story uh, hit pretty close to home for you, I believe. Um, so in her budget proposal for 2020, U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos moved to cut all federal funding for the Special Olympics 
which totaled $17.6 million, a move that would have impacted 272,000 kids. Um, but to give you an idea, we were talking the budgets that are in the trillions. Um, so $17.6 million would be a, a drop in the ocean for sure. But um, less than a week later, after bipartisan outrage on both sides of the political aisle in Congress, uh, President Trump overruled DeVos and canceled that budget-cutting proposal. So first of all, how much would a cut of that magnitude impact this organization? It would be tremendous. Um, I mean, just here locally, we have thousands of students that, par that participate from over 13 school districts, you know, at the local College of Geneva. And so just in that one particular event, they each kid gets lunch provided to them, and that funding comes from our government. Each kid, every kid that walks out of there participates in three events, and they get a medal for every event that they participate in. So again, that and those are huge. Those are huge accomplishments for those students that participate. So just taking any money, whether it's in the millions or even a cent, to take away from the one event that's been around for over 50 years for students with needs is ridiculous. So um, the critics of funding for the Special Olympics by, by the federal government believe that the the organization, the event should be funded by donations only and not federal funds. Like, what would you say to somebody that believes that donations should fund this event? My first question would be, well, do you donate? <laughs> you know, and I hate to say that, but there are so many people that are not even aware of Special Olympics. So for somebody to say, oh, well, just go off of donations. Well, how many times do you get asked for donations and you pass it up? you know, whether you're at the store or you're, you know, getting something in the mail, that's a lot to ask for somebody to just base that off of. You know, I donate, but that's because that's something that's close to me. But for another, you know, anybody, Joe Schmo walking down the street, wouldn't even know what it is. So to, to base it off of just donations in particular is just asinine. You can't expect a huge organization to be funded just based off of donations. It's not It's not going to make sense and it's going to eventually dwindle and not be able to be held. Sure. And, and obviously everybody close to the cause was very thankful that that, that proposed cut was quickly yes. passed aside. Um, so let's kind of shift the focus to something a little more positive. So the Beaver County Special Olympics is coming up. It um, is. It is on April 26th. All right. Tell us, tell us about it. So um, once a year, we go in the spring to Geneva College, and we will take, like I said earlier, this, this year is our largest group. So each student that we take will participate in, a, in three different events, whether it's running, jumping, or throwing. And they're grouped based off of, you know, with other students in our, in our county that have similar needs, and so that way everything is fair. And like I said, every student comes out a winner. And just to see the, the smiles on their faces when they get the medals, it's just heartwarming and rewarding. I love it. It's my favorite day of the year. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so how can folks get involved with the Special Olympics locally, regionally, whatever, if they'd like to volunteer or donate to the cause? So this year is our first year that Geneva is actually taking over it. It used to be through our IU unit. Um, for and they're no longer taking because of the big scandal that unfortunately took place last year 
I'm not sure are you aware of that. No. Uh. Okay, so last year's Special Olympics, we had a horrific scandal in our area where the head of the Special Olympics, she was in charge of ordering all of the timers and the medals for the students and everything and in charge of the funds. Well, she didn't do any of that. She kept the funds for herself and we ended up having the Special Olympics holding it and none of the students getting their awards because of her keeping the money. And, but she had lied and said that it had been stolen from somebody at Geneva, but it wasn't. It was her. Oh, my gosh. So that was heartbreaking also um, to see, you know, all of these students being so excited and still participate. They rallied wonderful, but at the end we couldn't even give them their medals. So. Oh, my gosh. Right. Well, and hopefully then this this – change of scenery, change of organization, be a, a, yeah. a, a first step along the path to a I'm brighter hoping, future. I'm hoping, but yeah, for anybody that wants to participate, um, Geneva College has on their website a Special Olympics tab, so you can go there and you can sign up to volunteer. You, you know, just have to register your name and, and get, you, get you signed up. Excellent. So the 2019 Beaver County Special Olympics Track and Field Championships will take place next Friday, April 26th from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. at Reeves Field and the Merriman Athletic Complex on the Geneva College campus in Beaver Falls. The competition kicks off with a pep rally and opening ceremonies next Thursday, April 25th from 6 until 8 p.m. in Matheny Fieldhouse. If you'd like to support the cause but are unable to attend, consider donating. Jess, thanks for being here. Thank Good you so much. Good luck with the events next week. Thanks. This is Uncle Griff, and you're listening to Pod for Teacher. Now back to the guys. Welcome back. Full disclosure, I just banged my knee before we came back from our commercial break, and it hurt. Anyway, uh, after catching up with Jessica Fontaine, what are you guys' thoughts here concerning the Special Olympics? Because when I heard the news, I was kind of taken aback a little bit, but I was just curious what your initial reactions were to the whole situation. Well, I think the Special Olympics are an important part of uh of the educational system and society, so I think it's important these kids have an opportunity to have some fun and kind of uh, um, just spread the word, show their support. They've definitely seen over the years just how much it's meant to, to our students, and, and you know, like, and, and we all have connections with folks that are deeply connected with that. I know every year we do the uh, the polar plunge, um, the uh, proceeds of which go to the. Special Olympics in Pennsylvania. Sorry to uh, interrupt, but full disclosure again, I, I have never actually plunged myself oh, into the frigid I, waters. I, I'd like to, I mean, I, I felt the support from you guys as I plunged into, <laughs> we're the, for you into the icy depths. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, by the way. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, of I, the Beaver River. Of the Beaver River, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. But yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it was definitely um, it was definitely a scare. I think we can all agree, but um, kind of a little bit heartening to see that uh, that the president walked back the initial plan um, that the education yeah. secretary uh, unrolled there. Uh, a March 22nd, 2019 article in the Pennsylvania Capital Star titled, Should Student Poverty Affect Teacher Evaluations? One senator used to say no, but now he's changed his mind about PA Senator uh, Ryan Ament and it states, the question at hand, whether teacher evaluations, which rate a teacher's effectiveness based in part on their student standardized test scores, should account for the negative effects of poverty on students. Research shows that students living in poverty have lower standardized test scores than their middle class or affluent counterparts. They're also more likely to be mobile, which means they'll experience ruptures in their education as they move from school to school. When a proposal emerged to weigh a teacher's score based on their school's poverty level, Ahmet argued against it. He said, 
I didn't want poverty to become an excuse. We know there are teachers who have a transformational impact on those students, and I thought it would be useful to identify who they are, what they're doing, and share those best practices. He now says that was a mistake. While the intent of the bill was to unleash the creativity, in quotes there, of Pennsylvania's teachers and identify their best teaching methods, Ahmed fears it's driven talented teachers away from high poverty schools. And he says, our current system, in my view, serves as a barrier to high quality educators teaching in high poverty districts, end quote. He also said at the Appropriations Committee hearing that student mobility and poverty should play a role in teacher evaluations. Under current state law, teachers are evaluated based on two equally weighted criteria. The first is classroom observations, which school administrators conduct using nationally recognized standards. We all know how we feel about rubrics from a previous episode with lovely Dr. Like Wargo there. <laughs> we won't tell Dr. Wargo. No, we won't. The second criteria is student performance, which is determined by such factors as standardized test scores and a school's overall academic performance. Ament said, unintended consequences of the system became clear soon after it was implemented in 2013. Once schools started using the new evaluations, administrators from the Eastern Lancaster County School District convinced Ament that they gave too much weight to student performance, allowing some teachers who had unsatisfactory classroom observations to get a satisfactory evaluation as well. In high poverty schools, meanwhile, teachers with stellar observations felt like they were being penalized for students' low test scores. These flaws became more acute in 2017 when the Pennsylvania School Code was amended to let districts use the evaluations in decisions about furloughs and terminations. At that point, the evaluation became more high stakes for, edu for an educator, Ahmed said. Their rating could potentially lead to their dismissal in the event of a layoff, based on their performance. When the evaluations turned to test scores, everyone got scared, said Jeff Nye, a teacher and treasurer of the Pennsylvania State Education Association. So when it became clear to him last year that the law needed to change, Ahmed convened a working group of educators and superintendents to help him draft reforms. The result is a draft bill that he hopes to introduce to the, the Senate sometime this month. The new system would give greater weight to a teacher's classroom observations, making them worth 70% of their total assessment score. The remaining 30% of the assessment will be based on student performance. But what makes that different is the measure will take into account a school's population of economically disadvantaged students using a mathematical equation laid out in the bill. Uh, he says, whenever anyone, whether it's lawmakers or the education department, recognize any of the struggles going on in our schools, that's good for morale. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's from Nye uh, from, of the uh, PSEA. When teacher voices are heard that echo what our students need and someone is listening to us, morale will increase. So the effort also has the support of State Education Secretary Pedro Rivera, who said at a March hearing that he supports the reforms wholeheartedly. Ahmet hopes the new evaluations will be in place for the start of the 2020-2021 school year. So with that being said, gentlemen, thoughts? Well, I think that uh, socioeconomic de demographics definitely need to be taken into consideration when evaluating teachers and school performance. Uh, so I think it's, it's a great movement towards that uh, with 70-30 split. Uh, I don't know. I mean, just with with all of the IEPs and 504s out there, like we, we definitely take those into consideration. Why not take into consideration um, socioeconomic status? Yeah, and they did say research shows, and they had a link to a lot of vi verifiable research. And it, you can't argue with the fact like lower socioeconomics do impact academic achieve achievement overall. And so that's it's not a political issue. It's just a straightforward issue. Like 
socioeconomics play into achievement academically, and so that is, I think, an important uh, factor. And so at least they're recognizing it. Is it gonna? Is this a better system? I don't know. Maybe it will be better. Um, but I am encouraged overall in a broader scope of the fact that somebody's saying, "Hey, maybe we made a mistake here." Yeah. And we can revise it somehow, and just not just in this issue, but I think that's a good practice in any issue. Like, okay, we tried it, maybe we need, now we need to tweak it. Just reflecting on it, I think that's important, yeah. especially especially with what we've seen, you know, in the news or whatever, and in our political climate right now, when a mistake is is often doubled down on. You know, it's like we've made a mistake. You know, someone will call out a policymaker for making a mistake, and instead of admitting fault or you know coming back to the table, walking it back a little bit, it's way too often double down on the on the mistake and uh and then hope that people forget or you know hope that people turn a blind eye to uh to the person who made the mistake to begin with um i like the I, specifically with the policy i'd like to see what this mathematical equation looks like i was just thinking the same thing yeah um, i would too but even even just from a, <clears throat> just from a you know upfront numbers standpoint 70 percent um based on observations and 30% of student performance. That's still a movement in the right direction. Um, I remember when I first saw the numbers, I was like, well, that's that's on the right track, but we still have some, some you know, we have some progress to make still if that 30% is still assessed the same way that our student performance currently is. But I like the fact that they have now recognized that factors come into play that, that impact that student performance and it, it can't just be measured one way across the board and as you would agree like we certainly don't want our best teachers flocking to just the you know the, the high performing schools because every student deserves a fair shake every student deserves a good teacher and we want our teachers to be where they want to be you know and we don't want them to be afraid to be in a place that might um, have a, a higher poverty level just because they're afraid of what their rating is going to turn out not, it's not a guarantee that low socioeconomics means a low score, but there no, are yeah. correlations. That's a, obviously, yeah, any, people can, can succeed you know, in, in any situation, um, but the big picture is, right, like at least saying that it is an issue. Before they're saying, oh, it, it doesn't affect or it shouldn't affect the outcomes, but the reality is that it does. You know? And the flip side, this doesn't really deal with the policy part, but you, know, you could argue 70% of a teacher's evaluation based on like an observation. People say, well, maybe that should be tweaked as well going forward. Like, you, know, you come yeah. in, you know, once and you're like, oh, you do a great job that one time. Oh, you're a great. Team. Well, you know, so there, there could be, you know, flaws around it. But I, I do at least for this part of the evaluation process, uh, the teacher evaluation, I do, I do at least support the idea of factoring in that there's more to it than just test scores. There's a lot more factors at play. So I, I'm encouraged by that. I am too. And we, I think the three of us sitting at this at this pod uh, of desks, we uh, that was, <laughs> was that it's like a bad, literal but... pod of desks. Actually, it is. I know. I... <laughs> So accidental, but yeah, so appropriate. No, I think the three of us can agree that it's not all about standardized testing and, and individualized instruction is so important. And honestly, I think we should uh, consider the administrators' ratings a little bit of more importance, to be honest, because they they, because they see it more, right? right? That is true. Yeah, the idea is like they know what they're looking for. They know good teaching, so they should have a maybe a greater voice than just like a paper and pencil thing. Exactly. Especially uh, the fact that, you know, districts, they don't have to make these test scores like requirements for things like graduation, right? And so it's like, 
some kids they don't necessarily maybe they don't even take these tests seriously right and so or yeah. don't test well i know i didn't i never tested well. or they don't test well right and so there's yeah there's all these factors that come into play and then at the end of the day you're just saying oh this low score means that maybe they're not a good teacher and well that's i say that's not fair right sure i mean like if you think any anything whether it's an object classroom observation whether it's a test score all of it in essence is a snapshot of what correct uh what's going on on the daily you know yep. so how can you measure the effectiveness across a year or like the or the knowledge base of a student based on this little snapshot that that a test can show or this the snapshot that just an observation of a, a you know a 40 or 80 minute period of time can show when you've had time to prep that up and everything um it, it's interesting and, and you know clearly on the pod we have a lot of uh, a lot of colleagues a lot of teachers you know contributing thoughts and ideas to this but uh today when we come back we're actually going to have uh one of our former administrators uh current administrator but one of our former administrators who actually had the chance to evaluate us yes. <laughs> hopefully yes hopefully he'll keep some of that close to the cuff whenever whenever we talk to him but um I'll, his perspective I'll, I'll will be a full roast from him and we'll roast him yeah I mean, that's all right it's all good well, we're looking forward to it. When we come back, uh, we're going to be sitting down with our good pal and hopefully new faithful listener of the pod, Mr. Ryan Smith. So stick with us. Pod for Teachers, the brainchild of Aaron Fitzpatrick, Nate Langelli, and Brad Baldwin, and is produced in their personal capacity. Opinions expressed on this podcast are the hosts and guests own and do not reflect the views of Freedom Area High School or the Freedom Area School District. Any account of this podcast without the written consent of Thomas Hickey, the Dean of All, is strictly prohibited. Welcome back. We're here with Ryan Smith, middle school principal. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you uh, so much for having me this evening. Well, I'm excited that you're here. You know, we miss seeing your face as often as we used to, but it's, it's good to have you. Um, I'm going to start you off with a very difficult question. We're going to jump right into it. Are you ready? You ready? Favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Go. Michelangelo. Well, See, quick I response. I this guy. We're, we're like <laughs> two peas in the pod Absolutely. here. Absolutely. I still have a Christmas ornament that states that, and it, it's hung up in the middle of the tree and my son loves Michelangelo as well. Well next year, you know, snap a pic, send us a text and uh, you let us know. Okay? Absolutely. Um, and kind of going along with that, not at all, our, <laughs> our, our discussion about teacher evaluation just between us, nobody else is listening, nobody really listens to this anyway. Of the three of us here, who's the best that you see before you? Well, I would answer that uh, somewhat PC. I okay. feel like all of you have strengths oh, we go. that uh, that go a long way, like parents, and you have a positive uh, impact on all of our students uh -huh. that you educate. So it's like parents telling the kids, "I love you all equally." That's Absolutely. It. Let's, talk, let's talk weaknesses. No, it's not. I feel like none of you. No, oh, we're not there. Wow, it's, it's been That's three so years. You've been it's gone been for too long. long now, yeah, apparently. long three years. <laughs> So, so before you uh, ventured into the world of administration, you you two were a teacher. Um, what did you feel like uh, has changed for you, like from your perspective of going through the evaluation process as a teacher versus now going through it as an administrator? Yeah. Um, so I've been out of the classroom for about five years, and believe it or not, it's that beginning to show. I tell you, I mean, the gray hair, right? <laughs> right there. Right there. The, the the process has actually changed pretty drastically over the last five years. So I don't want to say we're comparing apples and oranges with what I went through uh, with uh, in the current state of the evaluation process, but basically, um, when I was in the classroom, I always felt behind the eight ball because I was a math teacher, 
So I was in a you know, tested environment and I always felt like I was under the microscope that I had to perform. And sometimes that's what drove me. Um, now, the test was different, the evaluation process was different, the percentages, how they were uh, divvied up were quite different than they are now. So, um, you know, then I, I have a little bit of a, but it also made me appreciate what I do now as an administrator when I am evaluating our teachers through the walkthroughs, the clinicals, and through the uh, 82 at the end of the year. So what's the biggest challenge as an administrator in the evaluation process? Yeah, I think some of the conversations you need to have. Um, I, I always try to build positive relationships with all the staff members that that are that are in my building. And I know you did with us. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. You, you should. <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, but there are times where I know that they are a, a good teacher. I, you know, they they pass the eye test, and they they do a nice job. They create relationships with kids. However their results are not always showing that. And that can be frustrating. That's frustrating to me and that's frustrating to them. So having those conversations of um, to increase those expectations when it comes to how their students do, and I'm, I believe that that might be a little bit of a segue into uh, some of this conversation, mm -hmm. uh, can be frustrating. But, you know, I as long as the staff that's with me that I'm working with has my trust that that I understand that they're doing the right thing and, and I continue to support them through these challenges I feel like we keep that open dialogue so by way of review then like the current system for like teacher evaluations half based on the uh, classroom observation half based on uh, school performance which you know testing is a part of that thing and so the um, PA senator Alma is proposing that maybe those numbers change 70 percent more so on classroom observations 30% more on overall achievement level of schools and students and things along those lines. I'm just curious then, with that in a nutshell, is kind of the background, what we've been talking about, with the way things are now, benefits, flaws to the current system that you see. Obviously now you've seen it both. You've been a teacher, gone through it, now as an administrator. So I'm just curious your perspective on some of those you know, pros and cons uh, with what we do now. Absolutely. So in the current setup with that 50-50 model, it's, it's a a little bit different depending on if you're in a tested environment or not tested environment. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get the three-year average for your, uh, if your students are growing uh, within the classroom, so those percentages, you know, 65 up to 85 percent can be different. However, um, I am absolutely uh, in favor of tweaking those adjustments to take some of the emphasis away from the student assessments. But what everyone needs to understand when it comes to the evaluation process is if you're doing what they call clinical, an administrator kind of reviews the lesson with you, observes your classroom for 40, 80 minutes, and then has that post-interview. A lot of the, the misconception right now is that's the 50% of it. What we need to make sure that everyone understands is that that 50% or the proposed 70% evaluation fees truly needs to be 180 days and that goes to student achievement our students are doing amazing things in the classrooms our teachers are doing amazing things in the classroom unfortunately the only thing that the state sees 
is two or three days of keystone exams, two or three days, five days of PSSAs at the grades three through eight. And that's the frustrating thing. Because what happens if you get a child that is uh, maybe lost a loved one, lost a pet, broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend the day before the test? Their mindset is, you know, what they did for the last 135 days is not exactly on their mind. However, the state only sees how they perform on that 80-minute test. And that's the frustrating thing about putting the emphasis on, um, on student assessment scores. I think, Fitz, you brought it up before about how, how these are just like snapshots a little bit. And you're right. just saying the same thing. That's not like the full picture. Yeah. So, so when I was a uh, – I always felt like when I was a teacher, and I'd say this to other people – I felt like as a track coach, I, I train, you know, I would train for um, for the race. So I would train and train and train. And the day of the race, someone else ran the race for me. That's how I felt as a teacher being evaluated by the, the student assessments or the student state assessments, if that, if that analogy makes sense. Because, you know, the, we understand what we're doing in the classrooms. Uh, the students are learning and we actually see that in our growth indicators but the day of the test or the week of the test may not always display that and, and that can be uh, very challenging and very upsetting and so uh so senator Ahmet, you know proposing the 70 30 split you know 70 with the observation 30 with the student performance uh was still not in favor of the 30% being straight student performance based. So, you know, they, they were talking about a, a mathematical equation that would help kind of determine that, that would also factor in things like socioeconomics and things like that. And as a math guy, are there things that you'd like to see build into that 30% for the student performance? Like what factors should be taken into consideration when they're looking at that, that equation that would help make the evaluation ratio more fair? So I think it comes back to local assessment. Excuse me, local assessments. Meaning, one of the proposed things are to look at CDTs. So I believe we're giving CDTs at all levels at this point, and that truly can uh, show growth from August until June. And if we can mathematically use that score, how are our students growing in that time frame? That's going to go a long way because that those are those are different dates, different type of assessment. Uh, to go further, I would also like to see a true local assessment that could be approved at the PD level uh, that the students may just feel more comfortable. As soon as students hear keystones or PSSAs, you know, all of a sudden the nerves start to, to flare up a little bit and, and that whole idea of text, test anxiety uh, can take place. It's a real thing, right? So um, again, only seeing a snapshot. As far as uh, calculation, you know, there's so many different factors that I wouldn't know where to begin with what, what you're looking at, that 30%. Are you still inc incorporating your SLO? Are you still incorporating your, uh, your growth measure? Are you still incorporating the, uh, the score that your building receives for other factors, attendance, graduation rates, which they used to call SPP, which is now your future ready index score. That is still factored in at a small percentage for all teachers. So based off of um, his proposal, I wouldn't, I'm not exactly sure how he is proposing to divvy up that 30% because, as I just mentioned, there's three or four other factors there that don't necessarily just come with student state assessments. 
So we, we did a, uh, this was sort of a part two, I guess, of our politics of ed policy uh, series, I guess we could call it at this point. Sure, why not? We can do that. Um, yeah, we, we're making it up as we go. That's fine. <laughs> it's basically my life. <laughs> I guess I should ask, why wasn't I part of part one? Well, we, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't want to set the bar so high for the first time around that, you know, things just kind of... Or is that felt, Mr. Deal? Uh, he was part of that, actually, yeah. you know, along with Dr. Wargo. Uh, was it right? No. Did I make that up? No, that was a different episode. Yeah. We have to go back and check the tapes. So yeah, well, I don't even know. <laughs> um, but along those lines, like I guess like one of the uh, major conversations that took place with that first one kind of will kind of lend itself to what we're talking about now. As somebody directly involved with this stuff, does it scare you at all that some of these decisions that are being made are being made outside of the realm of the folks that are doing this stuff every day and then like what voices are being taken into consideration when they're making these things that do affect our lives in a big way yeah absolutely i mean you know basically when those decisions are made they're they're not looking at all 500 school districts in the state of pennsylvania um, that number in itself can be overwhelming however then you look at the 500 and you look at the diversity uh, among those 500 you know from rural to urban and everything in between uh, small schools, large schools, uh, just different funding availability, the resources that are available, all of those things factor in class sizes. Uh, so when, when we're making these decisions, or no, excuse me, when, when they are making these decisions. But you don't have a lot of pull at that level yet? <laughs> no, I'm not quite there. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of responsibility at the district level, um, you know, with the board of directors, superintendent, administration, and teachers to to help make the decisions that impact us on a day-to-day -day basis. But again, when it comes to those state assessments and how we're evaluated, they're looking at it from you know that 30,000 viewpoint. And it's just, I'm not gonna use the word fair because we're all kinda in, in the same ball game right now, but it, it becomes a challenge because I don't think they truly understand what is happening in every one of these districts let alone all the different schools within the district with you know mental health concerns socioeconomic statuses of everyone it and maybe it's because they just simply can't look at all those factors so maybe it goes back to the question before what can we do differently um, or what should we be doing what can we look at mathematically maybe we need to look at more of a local uh, not assessment, more local evaluation that can have a greater impact on our teachers that is a true indicator of how we are performing. And I think what made me think of it, at least anyway is, okay, let's say you have a, a wonderful assessment tool, whatever it is. How do you, the challenge in my mind would always be getting the students to buy into it, right? Why should they care, right? What do they care if they do well on it, if they don't do well? And I think that's a big concern for the current model, at least. A lot of kids don't care, right? There's no why should they try? What was the motivation? I can fill in these bubbles and make pretty pictures or whatever it might be, you know? So I think no matter what you come across, like making that, that can be tough, making that connection for students to actually put forth the effort, you know, to try no matter what the outcome might be. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think we try our best, but then you, if you start looking at that test, uh, 100, you know, 135 days prior to what are you teaching to the test? Uh, you're removing creativity, you're removing innovation from the classroom because all you're focused on is math, ELA, bioscience, and, and, and that's not fair to 
all of the other opportunities that we try to offer so kids are engaged when they're here. Kids want to walk through the through those doors to uh, just be exposed to um, activities that, that interest them. And if we're constantly just looking at those state assessments, you're, you're going to lose them right away. And, and we have to to get away from that. Ryan, I would have loved to have you as a teacher. I enjoyed you as an administrator, but a teacher would have been pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, as I said before, starting out, the, the challenges of math are real. <laughs> I always, uh, I as soon it. as every student walked in my classroom, I had them fill out an index card. I said, on a scale one to ten, tell me how you, you know, how you feel about math. One being least, ten being the greatest. And I had every child fill out an index card. On the 179th day, I brought out those index cards, and it was just, just an indicator to see how how their experience was uh, every, every year or within the year of my, in my classroom. And it, it was always uh, nice to note that it, I like to see a positive growth. Well, you definitely, uh, you definitely have that passion for education, which is important. But, so we've talked a lot about our frustrations and concerns with education like over our two seasons of the pod and uh, one of our guests as well. Yeah, yeah two seasons. So you, this, you know, out there, you might get an award for it or something. <laughs> but what's been the most rewarding thing for you as a as an educator, an administrator? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Bradley. Thank you. I just that's a that. terrific question. No. Gone off script. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's a really easy answer. Meeting us. Yes. <laughs> Let's call that one B. Okay. During this pod. <laughs> um, so having the opportunity to go through K through twelve through the Freedom Area School District, getting my own personal education, and then being able to come back here and try to have the same impact that Freedom had on me positively, to try to do that within this district at all levels. And um, I've been fortunate enough to work at the high school for, for a couple years and at the middle school for many years. And you know, this is... Uh, this place is near and dear and very special to me. So the opportunity to come back here to uh, attempt to make an a positive impact on the community, the students, the parents, and the staff, that's been by far the most rewarding part of education for me. Well, that's it. I like that answer. Yeah, that's oh. good. Um, now, seriously, though. Do you remember when you and I we did an impromptu race in the gym one time? I don't know if you recall this or not. It might you may have forgotten it, but I was proud of the fact that you didn't blow me out of the water. I was only a few steps behind it. We ran down and back. Yeah, I did in, actually in the do. Gym, it was, down and back. It was a Friday morning for an service day. If <laughs> it, I, if memory serves it, me, it, it very well. It may have been a sunny day, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't know if I made that much of an impact. If I was that close of a competitor, since I know track was really you know your forte. So I'm more of a straight. Straight guy, as far as so you having know, to turn back around, yeah, and come back that, down. Yeah, I need that worried. momentum. But <laughs> hey, I uh, I was proud of you. I thought you did a really nice job. Oh. At any time, if you'd like to do, just throw on the casual so, shoes. Just and lace maybe, them up again, huh? Yeah, I'm always now, open for a challenge. Now, best best partner you've ever ever had at any faculty event at Freedom Area School District. I'm not I'm not trying to name any names or point any fingers here. There have been some good can jam games. Let, let, so let, let it be known to the audience that Nate is pointing at himself. Yes. As he's well, but, but I will tell you, we went Greg. on a tear, three game winning streak through some uh, some significant challenges. 
and I believe we uh, we survived without problem at all. Oh yeah, three now. I, I think so. I think we're undefeated. You want to call that undefeated? Yeah, I'll go undefeated. We'll go undefeated. Yeah, we'll make belts or something, T-shirts perhaps. I believe there was actually a time that we whitewashed someone. Oh, yeah, probably. I think that that sounds familiar. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Just erased it from your memory. <laughs> um, earlier, you, you know, you talked about with your, the evaluations. You know, like the step one almost is like that that informal. Like, does it pass the eye test? Take a look at Brad real quick. Like, would you say, like, oh, man, we're talking about the eye test. You know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about Brad's eyes. Now we're looking at him. What do you think? Yeah, I'm actually, the, the glasses, the glasses actually uh, caught my them? attention. Um, I think Mr. Baldwin looks extremely just distinguished. That's that's the word that comes to mind. Do you, do you see that? I, I, I see a, a new father glow about him. You know, now that. <laughs> Is that, are you clean. are you implying about the wrinkles <laughs> yeah, under so. the eyes? Is that is that where <laughs> the glow is coming from? The sleep deprivation. I don't know. There's just something. Maybe there, is, there is a glow. Is that something spit different. up on your ear? I see the mask. <laughs> no, he's, he he always has himself together. He's uh, I'm the second best looking guy. I always, said he's, a, I always said he's the second best. Uh, you know. Male employee in the district. I'm still looking for number one. Uh -huh, so. sure, Let's sure, all use sure. our imagination on that one. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's why we don't have any video cameras in here. <laughs> Got a face for radio. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to, to join us here on the pod. We really appreciate it. Yes, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Ryan. No, thank you guys for, again, including me, and uh, look forward to the next opportunity. All right. So when we come back, what we've learned, our exit ticket. Stick around. Pod for Teacher is sponsored by Jeep, because A.A. Ron just can't say no. And he won't wave to you, so don't even think about it. Any excuse he can find to take his top off, of the car that is, and let his locks blow in the breeze is good enough for him. Alright, welcome back again. So what have you guys learned? I, I definitely like uh, what Ryan had to say about just, you know, like, incorporating a local some sort of local uh, aspect to the to the evaluation process I mean how often have we talked about how important differentiated instruction is you know so mm -hmm. we, we know that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to education you can't just take one one instructional strategy and apply it and expect every kid to learn the exact same way and, and pick things up the exact same way we have to differentiate well we as you know or I guess not we but the the state and, and those who make policy come up with something and, and, and granted we're going to say 70 and 70 percent to 30 percent is a little bit is, is a better approach to what we work are currently working with but I mean it sounds at least it sounds good on paper we'll it's see how right it, plays it out. sounds good on yeah. paper but we're still looking at something that's going to be um, at least in part a, a policy that impacts everybody equally that's mm -hmm. um, applied equally um, and you know we'll see what that mathematical equation looks like that makes up that 30% of the uh, student performance portion but seems to still probably uh, potentially lack that local aspect that would differentiate school districts enough to, to make the evaluation fair and equal across the board. And I guess for me it just it's a good reminder obviously we're talking about teacher evaluations but in a broader sense policy in general the balance between idealism and practicality because ideally with the thousands of teachers that we have in this state right or the millions across the country or however 
to actually effectively evaluate them on the most fair basis, you're going to have to gather a lot of info. You know, you got to you got to be in the classroom. You got to see things. You got to gather more info from students too. So, how to effectively do so in a practical way? I don't I don't know if there's a a right terrific solution for all that because I think we can all agree that what right now it's based on more snapshot stuff, right? A snapshot of this, a snapshot of an evaluation here, a test score there. But then if you expand that out, then are you just overwhelming the whole system then if you have to gather all this information about like, where's the balance? Where's the, I'm not sure, but at least this seems like a positive step in the right direction. And I do appreciate, like, like you said, with the local aspect of it, um, his insight information on the idea of like, you know, as a teacher and as an evaluator, he sees it as well. It's not just our, it's not just our perspective, you know, the three of us, other people we've talk, talked to as well saying like, no, maybe we can make improvements. And uh, so that's encouraging that administrators see it and obviously um, politicians see it as well. So that's encouraging. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you guys. It really is encouraging to see that uh, people are reflecting on how things are going. And uh, as an educator, I think that's one of the most important things we can do is reflect. And I don't know if there is a right answer, like you said, Nate. I don't know what the appropriate balance is. I mean, we both, all three of us have kind of discussed this in the past, but at least if we take into consideration these snapshots uh, and we, we take it as that, we can move forward and try to figure out a, a better plan and, and uh, just a better overall judgment of character as a teacher. I don't know. You guys, you guys nailed it. I'm just trying to add something. and <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job. And like we said at the beginning, it is encouraging the fact that people say we tried it. It isn't the best, and so we're willing to admit that maybe we made a mistake or maybe we need to make an adjustment. And that is an encouraging thing because we talked about at the beginning, like I think you maybe mentioned it, Fitz, in, in this culture and our climate today, people don't want to do that. They say, hey, if they made a mistake, I'm sticking with it. I'm going full bore. But at least here, they're going to try something. They're going to say, well, maybe we'll tweak it here and maybe it'll help. And if it doesn't work, then maybe another tweak down the road. Well, but, you know, one, one step at a time, I guess. But, yeah, the, the constant tweaking is encouraging, though. It is. That's all we have for today. We'd like to thank Jessica Fontaine and Ryan Smith for joining us. Follow us on Twitter at pod teacher You can follow me at AFitzPatrickCJE. You can follow Nate at Langelli. Please subscribe and rate. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Bye, guys. Peace. <laughs>